0: listening to a message from Stonegate church for more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources please visit stonegate.church uh, if you guys do not know uh, uh, psalms or this book is is one of my uh best books uh, this God has used this book to grow my delight and love for him it has really made a radical difference in how I love and love God and also love God's people. But not only has this book changed my life, it is said that it's also changed uh, 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 history in the church. R.C. Sproul says this concerning the Psalms, it has been said by church historians that in those periods of Christian history were renewal Revival and awakening took place and the church was at its strongest that coincidental with those periods in church history, there was a strong focus on the Psalms and the life of God's people, particularly in the worship of God's people. If you are desiring your mind to be renewed and your soul to be revived, God invites you to read, to study and to meditate on him through the Psalms, because in the Psalms we we'll learn that that, that that God will help you to do the very thing that we've that we've been called to do, and that is to worship God. What God has done for us in Christ, with our past and our present, and with our futures, should lead us to one end, and that is again to worship God the start and end of our very existence is to again worship God. If the truth be told, apart from us, uh, apart from mankind worshiping God, man has no other purpose. And when humanity fails to worship the one true God, they wander in spiritual confusion, live in spiritual darkness, never experiencing spiritual freedom, freedom from being enslaved to sin, freedom from being ruled and dominated by Satan, freedom from the fear of death. Imagine for a moment never knowing God, never being free, never being able to worship God. Truly, only a redeemed soul can worship God, true worship comes from a redeemed heart who has been justified before God by faith and the in the person and work of Jesus. The experience of, of a redeemed heart through the work and person of Christ is the defining vital and indispensable essence of worship. And if you have not confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that 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 Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you are unable to worship God. If you don't believe in Christ and that he is the only way to God the Father, you cannot worship God. Now, for those who might be saying, so what is worship? Well, allow me to give you a working definition of worship. Worship is the believer's humble response of all that they are. Mind, emotion, will, and body to who God is, what God says, and does. Worship is our loving response with our all to who, again, to who God is, what God is, has said, and what God has done and is doing. And all four of these should cause us to worship God. That when we realize that God is, like, like as God reveals more of who he is, we should worship. When God uh, uh, gives us the opportunity to understand what he's saying through his word, we should worship. When God has, allowed us to understand what, what he's done for us in Christ, we should worship. And when we realize what God is doing for, or for his glory through us, it should cause us to worship. Let me say it again. If you are saved, if, you are, if you've been redeemed by God, you are called to worship. In today's Psalms, in Psalm 131, it serves as as a powerful prescription of what it takes to grow in our worship of God. So please allow me to read that for your hearing. David pens in Psalm 131, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. This psalm is one of the 15 psalms that are called the Songs of, 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 of Ascent. From Psalms 120 to 134, there is this small collection of psalms where the Jewish leaders at the time would would be used to walk the Jews to the temple as they led them either quoting, reciting, or singing the psalm during one of the three annual uh, festivals. Though this psalm is short, Charles Spurgeon says it is one of the shortest psalms to read but one of the longest Psalms to learn. In this Psalm, we're gonna learn three key attributes or three key things that we should do as we grow in our worship to God. Number one, if we're going to worship God, worship God, truly worship God, we must be humble. Look at verse 1, we must practice humility. It says, Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not hearty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. This verse is all about humility. It, it's been said that humility is the first duty and the highest virtue of the human. It is the root from which every virtue has its foundation. Without humility, you cannot be saved. Without humility, you cannot grow. Without humility, it is impossible to worship God. Andrew Mary, in his book, Humility, he defines defines, uh, humility as such. The place of entire dependence on God. That's it. That's short. That's weighty. But it's a lifelong pursuit of every Christian. If Christ would define it, he would say this that humility is the place where we know that we can do nothing apart from him. Imagine it. We can't even parent without him, be a godly spouse without him, be a godly neighbor. Well, cause the, 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 a humble person knows they must fully depend on God, knowing they can do nothing apart from God's grace. If we're going to worship God, it first starts with humility. Look what, look what the devil writes. He says, Lord, my heart is not proud. The first word out of David's mouth in this psalm is Lord. Like, so, so humility begins with a focus and a submission to the Lord. That it's impossible for us to worship God without first submitting to him. Submitting to who he is, what he says, what he has said and what he has done and is doing. It's impossible to worship the one true God without a true focus and submission to God. Everything that from this, uh, 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 from this book, it starts with our submission to God. When it comes to salvation, we, we, we must confess with our mouth that, that Christ is Lord, because that's where worship starts, but it's definitely not where worship ends. David says, Lord, my, my heart is not proud. Now, he's saying this to God. Who I know he knows, knows the heart, tries the heart, and examines the heart. And David has the audacity to say to God, my heart is not proud. What does David mean when he's saying that his heart is not proud? Well, the the word proud here means high, lofty, or tall. It's the same word used to describe Saul in 1 Samuel where it says that Saul was a head taller than any of the others. But when it's used of the heart, it's talking about arrogance, uh, being uh, being haughty. it's describing one who is lifting up their heart. The question is, what causes someone to lift up their heart? Maybe it's our intellect. Maybe it's our talent or talents. Maybe it's our financial status or our success in the world. Maybe it's our ethnicity. Maybe it's any area of success where we don't give credit to God, whatever that causes us to lift up our heart and say that we don't, that we didn't need or don't need God to get here, is pride. And this particular part of scripture, the proud heart, is a reference to self. Pride is the main obstacle between God and us, and it is the very thing that God opposes. In case you didn't know, it was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It was pride that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. And it's it's pride that also prevents us from worshiping and experiencing the manifest presence of God. God would not allow us to worship and enjoy him if we cannot get over ourselves. Can you just note yourself? The very thing that causes us to have pride is the very thing that God has made us or given us. everything that we are prideful of regarding self, either God has made us that way or he's given it to us. How can we become prideful of self when everything has been given to us from God? If we're going to worship God, we must be humble. We must not think too much of ourselves, but also, if we're going to worship God, we must also not look down On others. Look what David says. He says, My eyes are not haughty. The word haughty here means to be raised high or lifted. It is often used of of lifting an object, as of Moses lifting up the rod in Exodus, but also it's used in Isaiah chapter 6, where he pins. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on high and a seated on a high and lofty throne. The word "high" and "lofty" is the same word, meaning haughty. And the hymn of, of his robe, it filled the temple. Now there is an excellent way of lifting up our eyes, but we see. But what we want to see, there is a, a wrong way to lift our eyes when we look down. On others for any reason, the very thing that can cause us to be pride, prideful in ourselves or to have a proud heart is also the very thing that can cause us to look down on others. You, you would have to be uh, been living up under a rock and not notice what's going on in our world today. There are a group of people who have, been, who have been looked down on because of their ethnicity. And the, and the church has failed to respond in a gracious and godly way over time. I'm just not talking about now, but over time, that, 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 that because of one's ethnicity. They've been looked down on. That's the kind of thing that David is saying, that if we find any reason to look down on the very creation of God, the people that God created, he said that's a form of pride. That's not being humble. That's being haughty. This pride also, when you look at this, it actually describes the, the continual put-down of others, the, the, the continual comparing of ourselves to others, the, the constant criticism of others, and the kind that convinces ourselves that we are better than other people. One guy said, the proud person looks, compares, competes, and is never Content. How can we worship God if we are constantly comparing, competing, and criticizing people who are created in the image of God? But how do we address such a sin? Romans twelve six uh, Romans twelve sixteen says, "Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate." with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Listen, if you are unwilling to live in harmony, to live in unity with those whom God has created in his image, you cannot worship God. If you are unwilling to associate with the lowly, that is to keep Company with or to unite in action with those created in the image of God. How can you expect to worship God when we think of ourselves more than we should for any reason, any ethnicity, any class, any culture, when we consider ourselves more than or less than to a degree, that is pride. That is having hearty eyes. We cannot expect to refuse company, not to hang around those created in God's image and think we're going to enjoy the presence and company of God. If we're going to worship God, we must not think too high of ourselves. We must not look down on ourselves And the great says, and The last part of this verse, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not hearty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. A person who desires to worship God, a person who is humble, knows that he or she does not know it all and that he or she cannot do it all. What is interesting in this verse is the progression. In verse 1a, David, he aims at the heart. At 1b, he talks about the eyes. Here, he's talking about the feet. The word, the phrase get involved, is actually translated in the Hebrew as to walk. It can be used for one who is physically walking, but but, but when it comes to our heart, it's how someone lives their lives. Hold on to that. The phrase uh, phrase for things too great or too wondrous is used often in Psalms, but more times talking about God and his mighty and great deeds. in other words, David is saying that things that are too high to grasp, too hard to understand, too hard to do, he's made it his life business not to get involved in things too hard from him. Like this kind of pride uh, has a reference to God. So if, if, if I had to sum up what David is saying in short is that we should stop trying to play God Stop trying to understand God fully and stop trying to do God's work for him without him. David has learned here not to walk above his ability. He's learned not to walk trying to grab things too big. He's learned how to stay out of God's business. The opposite of what I did some years back. In case you don't know, God, he saved me in a a place of confinement, okay? He saved me and called me in this place of confinement. Uh, During this time, uh, I began to realize that God maybe had called me to preach, and others here also thought that God had called me to preach. So in this place, uh, there would be other ministries that would come in and help us, but also preach to us. So when I would hear uh, these women and guys preach, my pride self would say they can preach. God give me the opportunity and I'll show them how you have called me to preach. Well, the time came when God gave me this opportunity. See, after thinking too much of myself and looking down on them and their gifts, I wanted to do something too great and too wondrous for me that it took God doing through me. So church, let me tell you what happened. They called me up to the preach and man, for 25 minutes, I did nothing but stutter I couldn't finish one sentence. Man, I could not wait to sit down. And when they opened up these these pearly gates and they allowed us to go back to our rooms, nobody saw me for a whole week. Why? Because I wasn't humble. I failed to see preaching as an act of worship to God and not for myself. See, I thought too high of myself. I thought too low, I I looked down on others and I thought I could do something for God without God. If we're going to worship God, we must be humble. We must practice humility, but also we must be content. Look at what David says in, in verse two. He says, instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. One who truly desires to worship God. His soul, the deepest part of him or her, is calm and quiet within. David here is using a simile or a metaphor to to describe for us what it means to be content, he paints this wonderful picture of a child that is weaned from his mother. And y'all yeah, listen, this picture that David is painting of contentment does not come devoid of humility and maturity. See, in the Hebrew culture, when a child was around three or four, they would start the process of weaning their child. Uh, when this started, it was the end of their infancy. But most children, when this started, they cried, they cried and they and and, and they fussed and they fought because they they didn't understand what the mother or what the parents. We're doing, and when it happened, these kids they, they, they would feel deprived, they would feel rejected by their own mother. They simply wanted to be in the mother's loving arms and their satisfying breast. When it was done, the child would learn the first lesson of life. Growing up involves painful losses that can lead to wonderful gains. Weaning is a terrible, painful process that must happen to us all. See, in regards to God, God's goal for us in the weaning is an emotional and spiritual maturity that leads to contentment. Here it is, the reality is that God sometimes has to wean us away from good things to give us the greater thing, himself. He wants us to be like children, having childlike faith, depending on him for everything, but wanting him for nothing more than himself. And when we as Christians get to this point of humility and maturity, we are content. One writer said this about this verse. He says, This person's soul rests on God's heart and finds its happiness in intimate communion with him, not like an infant crying loudly for his mother's breast, but like a winged child that quietly rests by his mother's side, happy in being with her. Regarding God, this person's heart has found rest. He knows himself to be safe with God and to be sheltered in the love of his heavenly Father. No desire now comes between him and his God, for he is sure that God knows what he needs before he asks him. And just as the the child gradually breaks off the habit of regarding his mother only as a means of satisfying his own desires and learns to love her for her own sake, so too the worshiper, after a struggle, has reached an attitude of mind in which he desires God for himself and not as a means of fulfillment of his own wishes." his life, his life's center of gravity has shifted. He now rests no longer in himself, but in God, desiring nothing better than to worship God in all of life. Does this describe you? Is this where you are or is this where you wanna be? Me too. Like I, when I when I read this, I, I I must admit that my that man that that my times with God are mixed. Most times, by His grace, I want Him, but there are other times I want from Him, and not just Him. David says that a worshiper is learning to be content with God, and not wanting the things of God. So we see here somebody who desires to grow in their worship, they must practice humility. They must learn to be content. Lastly, they must live in hope. Look what, look what David says. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Now, understand, David now moves from himself now to a larger He's, he's now inviting the nation of Israel to experience the humility and, and contentment he's found in God himself. David is encouraging Israel to put their hope in the Lord and not in themselves, both now and forever. This is the supreme good for any person who knows and who, and who believes in Christ. The The word hope here, it means to wait for. It means to wait with great expectation. See, the hope that David is describing here is a confidence knowing that his waiting will not be in vain, that his waiting is not, that his hope is not mixed with worry, that his hope is not just wishful, that his hope is not one that gets ahead of God. The hope, that David is describing here is full of patience, knowing that God will come through because he is faithful and he has set his faithful love on us. Now, when I stop and think about whom David is writing about, is it really about himself? Is David really pinning this psalm about him? Well, we know. Not exactly, because we know that from scripture there were times where David was not humble but prideful, arrogant, and he got in god 's way. We know that we know that according to scripture, there were times where David's soul was neither quiet nor calm. there were times where David did not live in hope waiting for with. With great expectation on God. So, who is David really referring to? Who is the one who was never proud, never haughty, and who never got ahead of God, and who was always calm and quieted within? his soul because he perfectly lived in worship and in adoration of his father. Yup, you guessed it. Jesus. David, David's humble trust in writing this psalm is looking forward to, to the humble hope and confidence that Christ would have in his father. Listen, Christ did not practice Humility. He was humility. Christ didn't learn to be content. He was content. Christ hoped in his Father. Never, never there was never a time where it started. That he always uh, hoped in his Father, perfectly and entirely. How do I know that Christ? lived in hope of his father B- because Christ never said a word that his father did not tell him to say. He never did an act where he first didn't see his father acting. Again, but how did Christ accomplish this? Because he always enjoyed worshiping with his father by the power of the Spirit, always. Always. But why? Because God knew that we never or, or never or always could practice humility, be content, and live and constantly live in hope in him. So God sent Christ for us. See, Christ humbled himself by becoming a servant. Christ was content with the will of the Father to go on the cross. He was content. He 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 not only lived in hope, but but he also died in hope of his father, knowing that even in death his father would raise him from the grave, sit him at his right hand, so that all who would believe in this resurrected Savior could be humble could be content and could have a hope that we could worship God, that without God the Father sending God the Son, there would be no hope of us worshiping God at all. Only those who have believed in the complete work and perfect person of Christ can be hum- can delight or desire in being humble, content, and hoping in God both now and forever. In reading this psalm, there's there an article put out by an author, uh, David Pallison. And I want just to read, I want to end with reading this, 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 this portion of this, uh, 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 of this uh, journal that he wrote. He writes, Amazingly, this man isn't noisy inside. He is not busy, 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 not obsessed, not on edge. The the to do list, the to-do list and the pressure to achieve do not consume him. Ambition does not turn him. Failure and despair. Do not hunt him. Anxiety is not spinning him into, free, into a free fall. He is not preoccupied with thinking up the next thing he wants to say. Regrets don't corrode his inner experience. Irritation and dissatisfaction do not devour him. He is not stumbling through the minefield of blind longings and fears. He's quiet because he has Jesus. My prayer is that Stonegate and those watching, that as you desire to grow in your worship of God by reading the Psalms, that we would take this, that we would take the three prescriptions prescribed by David, and that man, we would apply them to our lives that by the power of the Spirit and by us constantly being satisfied with who Christ is and who we are in Him, that we will be content, humble, and that man we will continue to hope in God both now and forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that the reason why that we can be any of these things is because Christ was them all for us. Christ was humble. Christ was content. Christ, for for, for 33 years, he lived in hope in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's because of what Christ did and what Christ not, not only did in living a perfect life, so what he done more so by dying a hideous death, absorbing your wrath, and yet rising up from the dead gloriously, been seated next to you, Father, that now all who trust in him have no need to think more of themselves, have no need to look down on others have no need to get involved. Things too wondrous or too great for us. That we can, like a winged child, be calm and quiet not wanting from God but wanting to be with God. And I pray, God, that we would, God, all trust in you and hope in you like David as the nation of Israel. Help us to be these things and do these things for your glory and for our good as we learn to grow in our worship of you. I ask it all in your son's name. Amen.